Welcome to Modern Motherhood, where you're required to be everything to everyone all the time. We wouldn't have it any other way, but let's be honest, it's hard work. So let's talk about it, all of it, in the raw with no filter. Come and be a fly on the wall as you listen in on a chat between friends, as each week welcomes a new guest and a new topic to delve deeper around the ins and outs of not only motherhood, but life in general. The ups, the downs, the struggles, the highlights, the reality. Because the reality is, you're not alone. We're all in this together. You're listening to Mummy Republic. Welcome to the whirlwind. Hello, lovely, and welcome back to another episode of the Mummy Republic podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and I cannot wait to share today's conversation with you. One of my biggest mottos is collaboration over competition, and I am stoked that this beautiful mama and I were finally able to collaborate. It was months and months in the making, and I know that you'll get such value out of this conversation. But before we get started, I just want to give you a reminder, if you haven't done so already, make sure that you click on that subscribe button. And while you're there, make sure that you leave me a rating and a review so you can let other listeners know what they're in for. Also, if you're on the gram, make sure that you head on over to at Mummy Republic Podcast so that you can follow along all of the guests and everything motherhood. So today's guest you may already know, but if you don't, I'm sure that you will definitely want to get to know. I did want to put a slight trigger warning on today's episode because we do cover topics including postnatal depression and miscarriage. So if these are sensitive to you, you might want to sit this one out. In saying that, I think you would still get a great deal of value out of listening to the conversation, but it's your call. For the rest of us, let's just get started. Today's mama is one who is doing amazing things for the motherhood community. She's such a powerhouse and I'm so excited that we were finally able to get together and have a chat about not only what she's doing, but also about her as an individual. Welcome to the amazing Nikki McCann. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm really good. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you for saying yes. I mean, we've sort of talked about this ages ago um, and life has gotten in the way for both of us in terms of our podcasts and what's been happening and I just I think you're doing such amazing things and not only the things you're doing are amazing but I think you're amazing as well why don't I say amazing another five times <laughs> you can if you want to yeah. <laughs> this works for me um, but I, I wanted to touch on what you're doing um, but I also wanted to focus on you as a person because mm. I think it's very easy to get lost in what you're producing, but it's nice to see the person behind the scenes. So let's talk about your journey to motherhood, first of all. Did you always see yourself becoming a mum? No, I didn't. <gasps> really? No, um, I was not particularly maternal. Um, in my like sort of like 20s and sort of teenagers, I wasn't someone who dreamed about you know, getting married and having a baby, it wasn't like Mm. my big goal. And I think a big part of that, and I was reflecting on it because I'd never really done that before, is that I had a quite a like difficult childhood and a really strained relationship with both my mother and my father. So I think that there was a part of me that was actually quite terrified of, of being responsible for looking after another person and the amount just the, the amount of responsibility that is and mm-hmm. the power that we have in that role. 
Um, and I think for me, I was just super focused on being as independent as possible. So mm. I was really focused on my career, really focused on not having the same life that my mother had had, really. Mm. Um, and so I think for me, I was kind of like going in the opposite direction. Um, I definitely wanted to have a relationship and get married at some point, but it, there was never that real like, I'm born to be a mother yeah. kind of vibe I just yeah. for me it wasn't like that that big on my priority list I thought it'd probably happen eventually but not like yeah it was never a big focus. factor and I think that's really interesting that you say that because I feel like a lot of people can resonate with those feelings particularly mm-hmm. towards your own childhood and it is really confronting when you become a mother or a parent in general just how much you you kind of your children mirror you and you mm-hmm. pick up those things that I guess maybe you've put to the side from your own childhood and then you go, oh, wow, yeah. I, there's maybe things I haven't dealt with or I can see my parenting is based on my parents' parenting. It's, it's quite confronting. Definitely. And I think, though, it, it does. Mother Becoming a mother brings up a lot of stuff around your own childhood, your relationship mm. with your parents, um, your relationship with what it's like to be a child and, and to have someone have power over you really mm. um, but for me it's been really really healing so I think it can be it can be a really healing experience to go into becoming a mother with the intention of I want to do things differently and I want to use this as an opportunity to heal my own stuff and mm. to break a generational kind of pattern um, because as you said and actually my husband and I were talking about this this morning he's like isn't it crazy that no one tells you how to parent? He's like, if you think about it, like, isn't it really bizarre that no one actually tells you how do you how do you do this? And he goes, you just you either absorb how you were like parented, and then you think that's the way that you do it, mm. and so you just unconsciously kind of recreate that pattern, or you go the opposite way and you have to go and go on this journey of trying to find more information and resources but that can be a really big journey to go through because there's so much information and opinions out there yeah um but yeah I think I think it can be a really healing experience at the same time so Mm, absolutely and I think it's interesting because you've also got two people with potentially very different backgrounds Mm. that have to then mold their parenting styles together Mm. to be on the same for same page for a little person and that's a huge thing too now obviously fast forward you you are a mother Mm -hmm. um to a beautiful beautiful little boy Mm -hmm. how did that journey come about for you I mean you had to you had an experience with special care it was kind of a bit of a a different journey to what maybe you would have expected as a mother how was your pregnancy um my pregnancy was really great I had like a very smooth pregnancy um we fell pregnant really easily um my I didn't have too much morning sickness I felt good up until like the last few weeks which felt like months because I went (laughs) went, um 11 days overdue in the end um but I was super focused on birth I did a lot of research about birth and how Mm -hmm. I wanted to um how I wanted to have birth I watched you know videos and watched one born every minute oh god yeah like all of that crying (laughs) um and getting just really yeah really thinking about that but I also put a lot of time into the nursery and going home outfits and all that sort of thing but I really didn't think about what would happen kind of after that so Mm. I went over um and then I was induced and 
the birth was pretty good. Like, mm. you know, I didn't have any major issues. Um, and then we were two days afterwards when we were due to go home. Um, the nurse comes through and does all the checks. You know, they do like the hearing checks and the whatever checks. And yep. They had picked up once while we were there that he maybe had a little bit of a noise when he was breathing, but then they had some doctors come and they all said it was fine. And then we're all, you know, bags packed, ready to go. And then the um, midwife is like, no, he's got a strider. He needs to go straight to special care. So we went from we're going home with our healthy baby to he's in special care. He's got a strider, which is like, do you know what a strider is? No. It's like a... um, it's when they breathe in or out that there's a noise on inhalation or exhalation. So it kind of okay. sounds like, I don't want to give you a demo, but it's kind of... <laughs> I mean, I kind of want you to now. <laughs> it's kind of like a snoring noise when okay. they're breathing yeah. um, sometimes. Yeah. So it can be it can be caused by a whole heap of things and they didn't know what it could what it was that was causing it so we were taken into special care he was having x-rays he was put on antibiotics mm-hmm. he was you know having blood tests done it's this tiny little baby and for me that was really really overwhelming um because it was so like we were about to leave and then all of a sudden everything's changed yeah and so we were in special care for, I think it was two or three nights while they were figuring out what was going on with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to you know, adjust to motherhood and breastfeeding and all of that sort of thing while we were there. I had had um, you know, physical injuries from birth and mm. I was like, because I'd been checked out of the maternity ward, Darren and I were sleeping on a daybed in the special care. Um, and I was, I didn't want to leave. So I stayed there and it was just, it was a pretty, in hindsight, it was a pretty rough entry into motherhood. Um, and then one day they just walked in and they go, oh, it's a clinical diagnosis of tracheomalacia and laryngomalacia, which is basically floppiness of the airways. And they're like, you've just got to watch him wait basically and see, see what happens and he should be fine. He should grow out of it. Just watch him wait. And so... Watch him wait. Watch him wait. Just, just to, you know, yeah. see how his airways go. See how that's, his airways go. That's not terrifying. So I am already someone who can be a little bit anxious and yeah. that just set my anxiety through the roof. And it's, yeah. again, only been like in the last probably a couple of months that I have been reflecting on those really, really, really early days and what that was like. But for me, I came home, I went and bought a breathing monitor I then went and bought another breathing monitor and I had him sleeping with two breathing monitors on him. I like started becoming really hypervigilant about mm. everything to do with him. Um, and I think that was pretty much the start of starting to get like quite bad postnatal anxiety and like mm. really feeling quite worried about, about him. Um, so in hindsight, I think that was probably, it probably had a bigger impact than what I realized at the time, Mm. that experience of going into special care and and how that was all sort of um, done. But um, Darren was at home for four weeks and then we, he went back to work and then I was at home with my little guy and he was very unsettled, um, no doubt because of all the poking and prodding he had had as soon as he was born. I think that was definitely a big part of it. But previously I'd been um, working in Brisbane and living on the Gold Coast. So I really hadn't spent a lot of time on the Gold Coast by myself because every weekend I'd be with Darren. And I was suddenly at home a lot on the Gold Coast, didn't know anybody. 
and had this little baby, no friends and family around and was feeling really anxious about everything. Um, and I ended up having some challenges in that sort of postpartum period. Mm. And I think a big part of it for me was the fact that I didn't have a lot of community around me. I was really just at home by myself. Yeah. Um, and that ended up having yeah quite a big impact on my experience as a new mum. There was lots of joy and lots of you know beautiful moments, and I was absolutely obsessed with my son, like, <laughs> obsessed. But I just definitely felt myself start retracting from other people and yeah. just start retracting from um, yeah mostly other people, like not wanting to really go and spend time with other people, not wanting to answer my phone and talk to people. I was very like kind of going inwards. Mm. Um, and I ended up, it ended up kind of like peaking for me with um, when he was around six months old, that it got to the point that it was like quite difficult. Um, Darren in hindsight was, um, didn't understand what was going on with me. He was like, you've really changed since you became a mum, but he didn't understand I was have, I was, in, was depressed. Yeah. And then I had this like really bad anxiety. Um, but I ended up getting some help um, from a GP. I didn't get proper help with a psychologist for quite some time afterwards. But once I realised that I did have postnatal depression I was able to have some more honest conversations with Darren about it and I felt like that helped a lot mm. and then from there as well talking to friends and family and was able to get a bit of support yeah but it did have a really big kind of impact on my you know entry into motherhood and and what I what I experienced of course and I think it, it is on reflection that you can start to put the pieces together yeah. and understand or, or maybe give yourself a little bit more compassion mm. as to why it may have resulted in postnatal depression mm. and I think as you touched on it's difficult for a partner who's also never been a parent mm. to know okay well is this normal this isn't you but is this what what happens with mm. motherhood I think the hardest part is to realize or identify that, okay, maybe something, maybe I'm not okay. Mm. So did you actively go to the GP and say, this is what's going on? Or was it just a, a scheduled catch up and it happened to fall out? This is a really good point And something I feel like it's important to talk about because I spent months Googling symptoms of postnatal depression oh. and was thinking, have I got this? And all of the symptoms or the diagnoses whatever it's called <laughs> yeah. um, that I could find was that you didn't feel a connection with your baby that you spent a lot of time crying and all of those sorts of things and wow. and I okay. wasn't that wasn't my experience mm. I was very connected with my son but I didn't want to connect with anybody else like it got to the point and I get emotional even saying it I didn't want to make eye contact with people like I was so it's hard it's hard mm. um yeah, I remember just like Darren would get home and I'd just be like, just go. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to connect with people. Yeah. And, um, and it was saying, you know, you spend a lot of time crying. You can hear me now. I'm like a super emotional person. I like crying television commercials. Oh like, God, I, me too. <laughs> I am like the biggest crier. Um, and I didn't cry for like nine months after I had him because oh. I was so disconnected from my emotions because they were so overwhelming they mm. got to the point that I just shut off so when I was like looking at the 
definitions of what's postnatal depression. I wasn't meeting the criteria that yeah. I found on Google. And this is why I think it's really important not to try and self-diagnose things mm. like this because you need to talk to someone who actually understands what's going on and who can help you identify. And even if you don't want to put yourself in the bucket of I have postnatal depression, if you need help, if things are not going the way that you want to, it's time to go and talk to somebody. It doesn't need to be a psychologist. It can be a GP. It can be a counsellor. It can be a trusted friend. But if things aren't feeling good, we need to go and, and talk about it rather than trying to self-diagnose like I did for a really long time. <laughs> um, and it was... In terms of how I ended up finding out I had um, postnatal depression, I had to go to a sleep school with my son because he was not interested in sleeping. He would sleep in like 45 minute, one hour bursts oh. overnight for six months and would scream for like two or three hours before he would go to sleep. It was just horrific and it was really taking a toll on my mental health course, and yeah. Darren's as well. And um, I ended up, so yeah, I ended up going to sleep school and while I was there, you had to have an appointment with a psychologist just to check in and he spoke to me about what was going on and he's like, I think you might have postnatal depression, um, this is what you need to go and do now and so then I went to my doctor and um, spoke to them. I was given the option to go on medication. Um, I chose not to at that time just because I had some you know personal reasons why I didn't want to and I... But just having a reason for why I was feeling the way that I was, that it wasn't that there was something wrong with me or that I had just changed or um, that I wasn't able to do what I was meant to be doing, having a reason really helped me because then it meant that I could go and have conversations. Like I could go and have a conversation with Darren and say, I'm feeling like this and this is the reason why. Um, and same with, you know, people, um, I had a really great online mother's group. There were other women who were going through the same experience and we could connect because I had a, like a, a reason, I guess, or yeah. something to kind of, um, connect through. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, I think it's probably then just giving yourself that grace to go, all right, this is, this is not just in my head. This is not just me and the way that it is. And I think like you touched on before, however you open up whoever that is to whether it's a friend a family member whoever the first step is to actually talk and say actually this is this is not what I expected things to be and I think the other point is too as you touched on we might not want to say I've got postnatal depression there's so many other factors involved you know there's postnatal anxiety we're now talking more about postnatal depletion we don't have to just be okay Mm -hmm. if you're not okay so it's good to open that up and how do you feel now? Because I actually read something the other day that postnatal depression can even come to a peak when your child is four or five, you know, years and years after birth. You obviously identified it early and you took steps. Do you feel like it's something you're still managing or do you feel like you're, you're past it now? Um, I'm past that now, yeah. but in saying that, I feel like we all go through stages of life and I I feel sometimes in two minds about even saying that I had postnatal depression because I feel yeah. like putting labels on things can be really dangerous because Absolutely. it does make people feel like I don't want to say that I'm struggling because I'm going to be labeled as depressed. Yeah. And that's why I really love matrescence. I know we're going to talk about that in a minute, mm-hmm. but that gives us a language to talk about motherhood as being challenging. We have a real narrative in our culture that either you are killing it at motherhood, perfect mother. Instagram, mossy <laughs> version, whatever, 
or you have postnatal depression. Those two ends and we're not given any room to explore what happens in between. And that's mm-hmm. why I really love matrescence because it gives us a language to start going, but it's okay to have challenge because this is a developmental process. This is something that we're all going through. You don't have to be labeled depressed to experience challenge mm-hmm. in motherhood. Everyone experiences it. Some people just show it and some people don't. Yeah, absolutely. And it is up and down. And you know, you've also got to factor in that people have multiple kids Mm. and you may not experience it with your first child and it may come on with your second child or third child or you you might be lucky enough that you don't have it at all but I do sort of want to skip forward to that matrescence piece and I think we're starting to talk more around that language and open up the conversation about what that looks like and you are doing amazing things in this space which I will further touch on but for anybody who's not familiar with the term what is matrescence? It's, as you said, a word that's getting like a lot more traction lately in the last few years. It's really kind of become a part of our vocabulary in terms of what happens to women when they become mothers. For me, when I had my son uh, four years ago, just remembering, (laughs) four years ago in 2016, it wasn't even around then. So it's a, a relatively recent kind of thing that we're learning about. But the word itself and the concept has actually been around for a really long time. So it was coined in the 1970s by an anthropologist, Dr. Dana Raphael. And she used the word to describe that giving birth doesn't make a mother out of, out of a woman. The amount of time it takes to become a mother requires study. It's a developmental process that takes time. It's not a biological event that as soon as you conceive, are pregnant, give birth, have the baby put in your arms, that you're a mum. It's mm. going to take time. Mm. So she also coined the word doula and that word gained a lot of traction and it became a part of you know, how we approach birth and pregnancy and postpartum but the word matrescence was kind of buried in the textbooks until a woman Dr Aurelie Athen who's a clinical psychologist and professor at Columbia University she started um, in her work with women started noticing that there wasn't a developmental process to um, kind of capture what happens to women when they become mothers so she started doing all of this research in her lab And she found the word matrescence and then started building a body of evidence to look at what actually happens to a woman when she becomes a mother. What's a normative, in inverted commas, developmental experience. And she, the best way to kind of start understanding matrescence, and this came from orally as well, is to think of it as matrescence like adolescence. So Mm -hmm. we understand that adolescence is the developmental process that we go through from being a child to becoming an adult. We have a language to understand what happens to um, teenagers when they're going through that process. We know that they're going to have some hormonal breakouts. <laughs> we know they're going to feel a bit awkward in their bodies, that their bodies are changing. Yeah. They might be changing their friendship groups. They might be having a bit of squabbles with mum and dad. Like there's some you know, shifts happening in, in all of their relationships. They might be thinking about what they want to do, who they want to be, what's important to them now. Um, they might be asking really big questions as well, like, who am I? What does all this mean? What, what is my life going to mean? And if you start thinking about it like that, you can see that there's some really strong parallels in terms of what happens to women when they're going through matrescence. Mm. We're having huge shifts um, physically, so our bodies are changing. Our relationships with our bodies are changing. We're also going through brain changes when we are carrying a baby, so... When we're pregnant, our brains are actually being rewired to enable us to perform the tasks of mothering, Mm. making us more empathetic and more compassionate. 
Um, we're going through really big hormonal shifts as well. We're going through changes in terms of our body image, how we feel about our bodies. Some people go through pregnancy and birth and they feel like they have a harder relationship with their body. Some mm. people go through it and they have a stronger relationship with their body, more appreciation for it. Um, we're going through changes with our relationships, friendships, you know, intimate relationships, parental relationships, how you um, relate to your own mother and father. Mm. We're going through changes with our career. We're going through changes with our value system. It's a really big part of it is that we're kind of redefining what's important to us now and maybe taking some big steps and some big strides that we might not have had the confidence to do before but suddenly having a child puts everything into perspective. So when you look at it through that lens, you can start to understand that matrescence is this really powerful time in a woman's life. It's also a time of vulnerability. So it's mm. something that needs to be supported and protected. Oh, you've just given me goosebumps. <laughs> I, I think when, when you sit there and you articulate it in such a form that like all of these changes, mm. and I think we are moving away from, oh, well, you know, you're a mum, just get on with things and just do it. And it's more about acknowledging that there are all these massive shifts and at once, mm. you know, whilst on top of figuring out how to care and nurture this little person that's come into our lives, it's incredibly powerful. Mm. Now you have, again, you know, sort of taken on your own journey and started to learn and and I guess your focus now is to help other women. You know, you initially started with Mama Tribe and some events to connect other women and I'm sure that came down to that lack of community yeah. for you. Tell me a little bit more what sort of gave you that push to go, all right, I, I need to do something. Yeah, um, well, with Mama Tribe, it was exactly that. So mm. I was really lonely when I was a new mum and that had a huge impact on my experience. For me, I think that was part of the reason why I had the experience that I did. If I had have had more support around me, I would have, I think, gone through it a lot differently. Mm. So I started Mama Tribe with a friend in 2017 and that was to help connect women and help them make friends. And that was amazing. It was really yeah, cool to yeah. go through that process. It grew really quickly um, and kind of had a life of its own. Yeah. Um, and then in February of this year, that was actually acquired by the Centre of Perinatal Excellence. So Mama Tribe is now part of COPE, which is um, a national not-for-profit that support perinatal mental health and wellbeing, which is Incredible. really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's been kind of good to go on that journey with Mama Tribe to start it from sort of nothing and then to watch it grow and then see it hopefully live on and, yes. and become bigger and better. And then in August of last year, I started Dear Mama, and again, it was through my own personal experience because what ended up happening to me um, through becoming a mum, I've spoken obviously about the part of the postnatal depression, the other thing that was kind of happening as that was all going on, just to add to the mix, yeah. was that I was having a really big identity shift. And this is, again, part of matrescence. Before I had my son, I was super identified with my career and super identified with being independent, particularly financially independent. That was a big thing for me. And I had a lot of my self-worth wrapped around my mm. career <laughs> and, yep. yeah and then when I had my son all of a sudden I wasn't doing those things and I was left going well who am I mm. 
if I'm not the career lady who's got the nice business cards and who walks into meetings and people like actually want to listen to what I say, whereas my baby does not care, um, then who, who am I? Yeah. And it really made me start asking those, those big questions and have a bit of a crisis of confidence as well in terms of, well, I've gotten all my confidence and my self-worth from these things and they're not there anymore. So who, where am I going to, how am I going to define myself? How am I going to yeah. feel good about myself? And, and that validation mm. that you get from walking into a room and people knowing your name and knowing that you're this, you know, you've got a reputation and yeah. again, your baby doesn't give two shits. No, they really don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, ended up having a real crisis of confidence um, kind of spiritual emergency, I guess you could say mm. with it. And that ended up being a real gift, though, because it led me through a path of redefining who I was, not based on unstable things like my career or what I look like or who I'm friends with, but to start connecting with me as as who I am, the essence of who I am, which sounds really stupid to say essence, no, but I can't I think of like it. a better word, yeah. but like who you are deep down, like yes. the things that don't change about you. And to start working on self-worth and um, all of those sorts of things in terms of um, being worthy without having to have a job title or Mm. a whatever to back it up. So I went through this big process of doing that um, and through that found a more authentic and more connected and aligned version of myself that wasn't about trying to fit into other people's ideas of who I should be, but asking myself, well, who do I actually want to be? Like, what's important to me? So I did that. And then along that path came across this word matrescence. And then suddenly was like, oh my God, everything makes sense now. Yeah. Because Dots are connected. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because it kind of just summed up everything that I'd been experiencing. And when I started going down that path and learning more, again just had that fire sort of lit within where you're like I want to share this with everyone everyone needs to know this and I don't want anyone to have to go through what I did and to be sitting on the couch alone wondering what's going on and who am I now and why isn't anyone talking about this and there must be something wrong with me so that was kind of the motivation to create Dear Mama. Which is phenomenal. I think you can feel and see your passion behind it. And I think that's a huge thing to want to create something to help other people. And it's very confronting when you go through that transition of change to go, okay, who am I? And and what does this look like? But to have that, I suppose, justification that it's okay and it's normal and it's just that something we're not talking about enough now throughout this process you know you're creating these programs and developing I guess this space where women can come into their own and feel like they're supported in the background you were also facing your own challenges so you were trying again for baby number two you were successful at one point and then you had a loss how do you continue to try and serve other women and focus on making sure that they're you know nurtured and protected whilst you've got all this 
personal pain in the background yeah well I took a lot of time off when I had my loss so we that happened in June and I took two months off social media and the podcast Mm -hmm. for that very reason because I don't think you can show up and help other people when you're in the middle of your own stuff and my whole message is fill up your own cup before you try and give to your kids so I take my own medicine when it comes to that (laughs) Um, because I don't think that I would have been able to to help anybody mm. or needed to at that time. Like I, I value my own well-being enough to know when I need to step back. Mm. Which is so powerful because it can be really challenging to yeah. go. No, I need to put myself first. Yeah, it is because you do have these voices in your head that are like, but if you don't, then you're not you know helping other people and we have to help other people and that's good but I want to give to people from my overflow Mm. not because I'm tipping the last drops of my cup out onto them like that's that whole self-sacrifice thing that we have going on in motherhood and yeah my whole message is don't do that so it would be really out of alignment if I did that yeah um I think that that's that was kind of really good for me to take time off and I really did not very much in that time like I was painting and you know going for walks and having coffee with friends and just totally stepping back and that was really good for me it gave me time and space to process what had happened yeah and to yeah just to be with it to be with that pain and that experience Mm -hmm. and I since I've come back I've spoken a little bit about it I haven't gone in depth Mm -hmm. about it because I'm still kind of in it at the moment. So I'm not really in that position where I'm ready to give the wisdom yet because I haven't found it. Like I'm still in it at the moment. And there's a saying, and I can't remember who it's by, but it says, speak from the scar and not the wound. And it's, I don't find out who it was that said it, but I really feel that because there are some things that that you can speak from the wound in, like you Mm -hmm. can speak when you're really in it, but is that actually always serving the person that you want to help? Um, or is it better to let that wound have a little bit of time to heal? So then you can speak when you've kind of gone through the experience and you've come out the other side a little yes. bit and you're ready to be able to share, mm-hmm. um, share your experience and share any wisdom that you've acquired through it. So absolutely. Yeah. I think there's there's a great deal of strength in vulnerability. That's yep. a huge thing for me and I think um from a personal perspective, I I always like to share things when I have come through it because I feel like then I can add value. Mm. If I'm still in the midst of something, not only am I managing your emotions, but I'm still not on top of my own. Mm. So I think that's a, a good way to sort of segment it to go, yeah, I will I will share with you once I come through because at the moment I can't I can't tell you how to fix it. I can tell you that I'm with you and yeah. we're in the thick of it, which can sometimes be the support you need. Yeah. But I think it is good to then go, okay, well this is this is what helped me. Mm. And sometimes people just need that extra time to I guess get that insight to okay you can get through it but it does take time yeah and I think as you said there are definitely instances where speaking when you're in the wound is is good and it can Mm. serve people but I think you for me I had to check in with myself and I was like is this serving them is this serving me 
no, it's okay, yep. not the time. So, yeah, I think that that's always a good thing to kind of check in with yourself. Yeah, which can be hard too because, you know, you're in this space where you're helping people and like you said before, we've got to, we've got to help people and that can you can also go back to that validation of, well, mm. if I'm helping people, I'm a good person. 100%. Yes. Uh, which is such a balance, but it is, you know, you cannot pour from an empty cup no. and you need to be able to give to yourself first. For anybody who's who's in the thick of it and feeling like, okay, this matrescence is resonating with me, what would your advice be to somebody, I guess, trying to navigate through that space? Because it's hard. Yeah, it is hard. And I think that um, awareness is really important. So talking about it, even just saying matrescence, there's this process that's happening, can bring so much relief when you're in it, mm-hmm. that it's not just you, that it's not that you're alone, that you are going through this process there's a framework to understand it. Other people are going through it too. You will come out the other side mm. of it. I think it's really important. And then in terms of other things you can do to support yourself, I think being able to talk to the people around you about what's going on. Mm-hmm. To, so to get your partner or your friend or your family members to read a book or listen to a podcast or send them a post that kind of explains what how you're feeling I think can open up a a dialogue to then be able to talk about it with the people around you so I know um, a lot of people on that have listened to my podcast have sent the episode to their husband to listen to so that then they have a language that they can start to understand what each other are going through and just like for me when I was going through my experience I then had like a framework to have a conversation with Darren about how I was feeling. I think that anything that opens the door to communication is really um, powerful. Mm. Um, I agree that vulnerability is also really powerful and it does take a level of vulnerability to be able to have those conversations um, with the people around you, but also um, finding community. So finding other people who are going through the same thing as you Mm. who can just walk beside you through it. You don't necessarily need someone to give you all the answers or to, you know, take the pain away or the experience away because no one can do that for us, but just someone to walk with us through it, I think is really powerful. So community can be a mother's group. It can be online. It can be starting your own meetup community or whatever it might be. It can be blogging. It could be something that lets you talk about how you're feeling and connect with other people who get it. Because we need to have people who understand it and who aren't going to go, oh, well, that's nice. You know, like yeah. Just kind yeah. Of like or, you know, this, not, not see it for what it is and just yeah. go, well, you know, back in my day I did this. And I think that's, that's another key point is it's important to open up, but it's also important to be conscious of who you're opening up to. Definitely. Because you need to have somebody who's willing to give you the space mm-hmm. to open up as opposed to, you know, someone... I guess, discrediting your feelings because unless, again, you understand it, it can be easy to do from the other person's point of view to go, oh, well, you know, motherhood's hard. Mm. It is, but it's not that hard in that sense. You know, if you're really struggling, it's not meant to be that way. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And there's a um, saying, and again, I need to remember where I heard this one from as well. (laughs) I do this all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's it's actually related to when you've got something creative that you want to do and you'll, you know, when you get an idea and you're really excited about it and then you want to go and share it with someone and someone shoots it down. Mm. So picking um, who you share things with is really important. And there's a... um, concept called believing mirrors like you show it to your believing mirrors who are going to mirror back to you I believe in you this is wonderful go do it 
And it's the same thing when you're going through anything hard, you need to be having a conversation with someone who's going to mirror back to you your own strength Mm -hmm. and your own ability to sort of move through it, but also who's not going to shoot you down or try and make it about them or um, say things that aren't actually in service of the person who's sharing. So if you go to someone and say, I'm really having a hard time and this is really tricky for me and the person goes, oh, well, you know, it's hard. Who's that comment serving? Not Mm. the person who's asking for help, it's serving the person who's responding back who's uncomfortable with that so just tries to shut it down so you've got to pick I think as you said like the people that you want to share with absolutely and it can be hard to identify necessarily who might be the right person you know depending on if you've never had those uncomfortable conversations before but yeah there are there are obviously avenues as well you know you've got amazing organizations like Panda and Cope and lots of places that you can turn to if you're unsure Now, one thing that I'm a huge advocate for is mum-life balance, Um, and I like to call it the me before mummy, Mm -hmm. and reconnecting with that person that you were pre-children. So how is it that you give back to pre-kid Nikki, or I guess have that element of self-care? Yeah, I think self-care is really important. I also think that my... I had a lot more time for myself before I became a mum, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) And we probably didn't take advantage of that, let's be real. No, and that's, I think, been the big learning for me. A lot of it, I wasn't intentional with how I was spending the time. Mm. And I feel like becoming a mum really makes you intentional and efficient (laughs) with what time you do have available. So for me, I journal, like that's a really big thing for me. Even if it's like two minutes a day, I will journal pretty much every day. Um, and it might just be like, I'm annoyed <laughs> or whatever it might be. But I'm so sick of blue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm so sick of blue. Um, it will be, yeah, it's just an opportunity just to check into my, in with myself. And I feel like that's a big part of what self-care is. And I wish, um, you know, there's so much talk about self-care at the moment and it's always bath bombs and getting your nails done and going and getting my hair cut and now that's my self-care. And that's actually not really self-care self-care is about attuning to your own feelings and your own needs and wants and being with those so right now I feel annoyed right now I need to go to the toilet right now I'm thirsty right now I am hungry right now I'm missing my friends whatever it might be actually just acknowledging that those feelings are even there because a lot of the time we push them down because we don't have time or whatever Mm -hmm. and um, then giving yourself what you need in the same way that you would if it was anyone you loved. So if your child came to you and said, I'm thirsty or I'm tired or I miss my friends or I'm angry, you would sit with them and work through it. It's doing the same thing for yourself. So for me, journaling allows me to do that because it's a way to sort of figure out what's going on with myself. And then just asking myself repeatedly throughout the day, like, what do I need right now? Do I need to to go and sit in the sun? Do I need to call a friend? Um, Because in my experience, the self-care of getting your hair done, eyelashes, whatever, it's really nice. But if if your self-care is doing that once a month Mm. and not looking after yourself at all in the meantime, I feel like it's not effective. So, yeah, for me, journaling, checking in with myself and just being present with how I feel is my Mm. biggest self-care. God, that's such an important point for me. I mean, I love getting my nails done and my hair done, but I still don't really feel like it's 
it's a relaxing experience for me. You know, I'm sitting there thinking, or, or you know, I'll have my child with me while I'm getting that done. And it's, you know, I, I could be doing this and I should be doing that. And it's, it is about going, okay, what do I really need? And sometimes that might even be silence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, I miss silence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think we get these messages of what it is. And for me, I spent the first two years doing that. And I was like, what's wrong with me? That I'm not feeling like full. Yeah. Because I'm going and doing my hair every month and getting my nails done, but I still don't feel that great. Like Mm. what's going on? And it was only when I started doing those like everyday micro moment practices where you're giving to yourself all the time throughout the day, rather than giving yourself nothing, Mm. sacrificing everything, and then going and getting a hair done once a month and going like, surely that will fix it. Come on, this is supposed to fill my cup once a month. Yeah, and those things are fun, but it can't be everything. Yeah, and, and it's funny, there's, um, again, a quote or, or some information that's bouncing around the internet at the moment that says, taking a shower by yourself is not self-care. Mm-hmm. Going to the toilet by yourself is not self-care. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it is, again, that perspective to go, it's okay to need and want more or to things that aren't material, Mm. you know, like going for a walk or whatever it may be, being alone with your thoughts. That's the important stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining me. You have been an absolute delight. And I I do, I I just think you're doing such amazing things in this space. And I will put all of your details into the show notes as well as a link to your podcast, because you've got not only some really valuable educational pieces, but also some stories as well. And I think it's good to have that balance so that we understand um, that everybody goes through different things and we can learn from it. But thank you again so much for joining Thanks me, so lovely Mickey. I absolutely loved today's discussion. We talked about so many things that need to be discussed more and there was so many amazing snippets of information. For me to do a full debrief would need another whole episode. But just to wrap it up, if you have suffered or think you may be suffering from postnatal depression or anxiety, or if you just don't feel like yourself post-birth, please make sure that you reach out for help. You do not need to self-diagnose. You do not need to fit into the criteria of a textbook. Everyone's experiences can be so different, but it's important to reach out for help. This is, however, a great time to acknowledge that matrescence is an actual thing. Motherhood changes you. It can reshape your belief system, your relationships, how you view the world, how you view yourself. So it's important to acknowledge and accept that that is okay. When it comes to any trauma or difficulty that's associated with motherhood or life in general, I think Nikki made a great point in terms of talking from the scar, not the wound. You do not have to open up if you're not ready. You do not have to tell your story if you're not ready. In fact, you don't have to tell it ever if you don't want to. However, there is a great deal of strength in vulnerability and it's important to seek support if you feel that that trauma is impacting you. As I mentioned in the intro, Nikki is doing some amazing things in the motherhood education space. So I'll be sure to pop all of her details into the show notes, including her Instagram, her podcast and her website. But in the meantime, remember to take a breath, take some time for yourself and know that you're doing a damn good job. Thank you again so much for joining me. I cannot wait to share more stories with you. So if you haven't done so already, make sure that you click on that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing. Thanks again. Lots of love and I'll see you next week.